obsession, stalking, bribery, blood status, racism, and perhaps courtship? Wait, isn't this a kid's book? Thanks for listening to Belated Binge, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. And thank heaven for that, because the themes in this one are heavier than a cement truck. I'm Zach, and I didn't read these books until I was in my mid-twenties. Now I'm taking you back to Hogwarts, so sit back, relax, and enjoy a full rereading experience, and you won't even have to pick up a book. This episode, we're diving into Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 7, Mudbloods and Murmurs. Harry spent a lot of time over the next few days dodging out of sight whenever he saw Gilderoy Lockhart coming down a corridor. Harder to avoid was Colin Creevy, who seemed to have memorized Harry's schedule. Nothing seemed to give Colin a bigger thrill than to say, All right, Harry? Six or seven times a day, and hear, Hello, Colin. Back, however exasperated Harry sounded when he said it. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now we're going back a chapter, two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly Dumbledore's role in his master plan. What did he know? When did he know it? And the motivations guiding the story. And of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 7, Mudbloods and Murmurs. Before we can get into it, this podcast will have spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2007. If you haven't read them by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast will also have some adult language. You can buy them in the kids section of the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was, say it with me, a grown ass man. We have no patrons, so no patron shoutouts. If you want to change that, check it out. Patreon.com slash belatedbinge. However, we do have special announcement. In the next episode of this very podcast, I will have another special guest with me. Christina from the Restricted Section podcast will be gracing us with her presence. If that name sounds familiar at all to you, I went on the Restricted Section uh, several weeks ago now for the ultimate villain monologue chapter in Goblet of Fire. I'm fairly certain it's still the longest episode ever recorded on the restricted section feed uh and i will wear that crown with honor and confirm when she's here just to make sure that nobody's broken it yet but that was the veritaserum chapter we'll see how long we can go over here um we're going to talk about the death day party so that's going to be pretty exciting for our next episode. For now, in case you're obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, last chapter, Ron got a howler. We learned about Mandrakes and we met a couple key new Muggleborn characters, Justin Finch Fletchley and Colin Creevy. And then we had our first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson with the new professor who proved to be an egotistical douchebag and is clearly incompetent. Before we can move on into this episode's chapter, we need to close the book on the last one and recap our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize on what we would expect to change in our story if we made one small adjustment to the plot of the chapter we are covering. In the last chapter, I asked, what if Justin Finch Fletchley wasn't introduced to Harry? He was in another group for herbology class. Would it change anything to come in this book? We got quite a few likes and even some retweets and some shares and whatnot on social media, but nobody actually answered the question. So, from my perspective, this one's actually kind of tricky. So, the biggest impact that Justin Finch Fletchley has on this story is the upcoming snake scene during the Dueling Club chapter. We haven't gotten there yet, but we will soon, so I don't want to go into depth of those details because 
then you wouldn't have a reason to listen to that episode other than the special guest. Ho, 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 ho. Who will it be? Stay tuned. Woohoo. Anyways, uh, but it's when Draco brings a snake to a wand fight and Lockhart pisses it off with his incompetence along with the rest of us. Uh, as we know, Harry is a parcel mouth and stops the snake from murdering Justin. However, since no one else speaks parcel tongue, everyone freaks out, thinks Harry is telling the snake to attack him, despite the order of events as they take place. I bring it up still, even though I don't want it to become the focus of this discussion too much, but I bring it up because it's, well, it's still going to happen. But, if Justin doesn't introduce himself to Harry and tell Harry that he's Muggleborn, by telling him what school he was, never, never mind, details are not important. If Harry doesn't know that Justin Finch Fletchley is Muggleborn from that conversation that they had during that introduction, perhaps there's a layer of motivation that gets missing from the rumors that go around the school following that dueling club scene. Because if Harry doesn't know Justin, and has no idea that he's Muggleborn, then maybe more people are going to be hesitant to peg Harry for the heir of Slytherin going around trying to kill Muggleborns right away. But honestly, it probably doesn't matter, because it's not going to change what people see in Dueling Club, it won't change the stigma of Parseltongue, They'll still think he's evil, probably. They'll put two and two together about Salazar Slytherin being a parcel mouth. They'll think Harry's related to him. They'll see the blood on the wall about the heir, and they'll think it's Harry. So I guess it doesn't make any difference whether Justin introduces himself ahead of time. Kids are just going to connect the dots anyways. But I am going to predict a foreshadow about our foreshadow segment to come. Is that is that meta? Or... I guess it's maybe our ridiculous segment, actually, so is it now not meta? Is it still meta because I'm foreseeing something about the podcast on the podcast? I don't actually understand how meta works. Anyways, I'm going to find it ridiculous that everyone's so quick to believe he's a Muggleborn hater when his best friend is Muggleborn. She's very much alive. And then when she's petrified, people don't think that it's Harry hell that would be when i would actually believe it when nobody's safe whatever we're completely off the rails at this point we're talking way too much about that chapter but the two are together with the question i guess um long story short not a lot changes because kids are still gonna suck i guess and that wraps up our chat from the last chapter by talking about a chapter in the future. So I guess I botched that whole thing. Sorry, y'all. Uh, let's just get to this week's uh, question here real fast. I'll pull up my phone, flip it around to video style, and we will do our little selfie for this episode's question. This week's Expecto Plot change question comes from Chapter 7 of Chamber of Secrets, Mudbloods and Murmurs, and it is, What if Ron's wand wasn't broken by the Whomping Willow. How could that change the events in the immediate? Perhaps the future? Let me know your thoughts to be included in the next episode of the podcast. This video I just took will be posted on social media. Uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we'll put it up on Twitter, at least the question. Uh, I don't always put the video on Twitter because... It seems like nobody sees it uh, when I do that. But if I pose the question, it gets some traction. Anyways, uh, you can respond with your thoughts on any of those platforms, or you can leave them as a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, there is also a form that you can use as well. Now, let's dive into the events of this week's chapter with... Priority. Incan Chapter. We've reached the point where our wands connect. Not the tips, just the streams. So we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read. This week in Chapter 7, Mudbloods and Murmurs, it starts off lighthearted enough, I, I guess, albeit with shades of obsession as Harry's trying to duck and dodge and weave and hide from 
well, a professor in Lockhart and a classmate in Colin Creevy. And he's trying to avoid them both at all costs. Which I guess is sort of lighthearted. It's played for laughs, but it's kind of creepy when you think about it. This is a 12-year-old boy who can't seem to go to the urinal alone. Actually, Harry never goes to the urinal once in this series. It makes me worry about his well-being and his bladder. It's Saturday morning, and Oliver's Wood for Quidditch gets Harry up at the ass crack of dawn. And before Harry heads to practice, he leaves Ron a note about where he went. And this is... I'm just going to say it. It's fucking adorable. Uh, I'm now imagining that this is a normal thing for the two of them. They're just so attached at the hip that if one goes somewhere solo, they feel as though they have to leave a note. Um, There's a quick exchange uh, with Colin that's actually funny. Uh, He got his picture of Harry and Lockhart developed. Officially, I guess? But, like, didn't they... Wasn't it a Polaroid that they already signed? What was that whole thing that happened? It seems like maybe the first was a muggle picture, and now somehow Colin has a wizard version? Because it it's actually got Lockhart trying to pull Harry into the photo, and Harry's fighting him off until Lockhart just, like, sits and pouts. It's, it's funny, but I feel like I completely missed something in the logistics of how it actually became a thing regardless i'm gonna say it again it's funny so moving on harry refuses to sign this one though and kind of looks around to make sure nobody was listening uh, and colin follows him to quidditch practice because that's what stalkers do and we love colin we end up loving colin right now i don't think we love colin let's just be honest right now we don't love colin he's kind of just annoying for Harry. And he's annoying because he does things like this. Like follow him to Quidditch practice. And along the way, Harry's graciously, if not annoyed the whole time, explaining the game of Quidditch to his biggest fan. After a bunch of coaching and whatnot in the locker room, they're about to start practice when the drama starts. Slytherin shows up. They brought a note from Snape that they can apparently kick anybody off the field they want, I guess, because that's how competitive fair play works in schools, if you were unsure. Uh, And speaking of fair competition in schools, we quickly learn that Draco has become the new seeker for Slytherin, and that his daddy bought the whole team the latest and greatest Nimbus 2001 brooms. So that's a thing. And for some reason, Ron and Hermione show up in a crowd of Quidditch players because... Well, the plot needs them to be there. That's really the only way I can explain this. Because as somebody who grew up playing sports his entire life, I couldn't tell you a single time when a student at the school that we played for would even be at practice, let alone able to walk into it. But, again, plot. For some reason, this is how we got here. I don't know. Uh, But this is when Malfoy is bragging about the brooms that his daddy bought the team, and he's shitting on the cheaper models that other students have, particularly the Weasleys. Hermione gets one off about how nobody on Gryffindor bought their way onto the team, and Malfoy calls her a mudblood melee ensues basically Uh, between these two teams ron tries to fire a curse at malfoy and of course his wand is broken so now he's the one throwing up slugs which is fun harry and hermione take ron and hagrid nearly trampling a nosy colin creevy on the way who was trying to capture the moment on kodak For Gen Z, that's a brand of camera that people used to use to take pictures of things before we all had phones with 87 lenses in our pockets. Imagine having to go to Walmart. That's a physical store where you actually walk in and buy things off of shelves with money. And you had to wait for like an hour 
for a roll of film to actually be developed. That's where they print your pictures out from those cameras onto special paper in a dark room. And dark rooms, well, they're dark rooms where pictures are developed. It, the whole thing's crazy. I know. It's cray-cray or something. That's not Gen Z, right? Who had cray-cray? I have no idea. Anyways, of course, because we have to be pounded over the head with how incompetent Lockhart is and how much of a douche he is, the trio has to duck his uselessness when they go to Hagrid's hut, whose response to Ron's predicament is, Better out than in! He then recounted for Harry why Lockhart was there in the first place, of course. We all know the answer to this before it was written on the page. It was to tell him how to do his job. But Hagrid's not buying his bullshit either. And this is where we get confirmation that Lockhart was the only person who would take the DADA job. And the reason why is going to come up later in this podcast. In turn, the trio tell Hagrid what went down on the Quidditch pitch, and this is where our boy Ron actually shines. Unlike the movie, where Ron is useless. In the books, Ron actually explains what a mudblood means, and why Draco and his family are the Wizarding World equivalent of racist pieces of shit. Hagrid gives Harry shit about signed pictures, and takes him to see his pumpkins. That's not a mistake. I didn't have a typo there. That's really in the book. And he brings up Ginny and alludes to her crush on Harry. And at this point, a lot has gone down in this chapter. Um, but we've hit, we've hit the high notes. But here's a couple of, a couple of things just, uh, what do you organic thoughts in the moment uh, for you on this? For starters, I don't know how many of you listening to this podcast are movie people versus book people, but this is one of the pretty popular um, reasons that some fans of this series, particularly book fans, don't like the movies, or what they did in the movies, or even don't like Hermione in the movies. And it's because of stuff like this. It's because in the books, Ron is the one that has background in the wizarding world. He's lived in it all his life. He has a hundred brothers and sisters that have been to school before him. He's gotten, you know, sometimes completely outlandish rumor versions of what Hogwarts is like or you know school and just basically how stuff works in the wizarding world Harry and Hermione grew up in the muggle world they've got no fucking idea how anything works in the wizarding world nothing unless Hermione has read it in a book and then told Harry about it, they are clueless. Ron is our lens into the wizarding world the majority of the time in the books. That's his contribution to the trio in a lot of ways, is being able to essentially magic-splain things to these other two when, again, the answer hasn't been written in a textbook that Hermione has memorized at this point. I mean, she's 12. She hasn't gotten through them all yet. But... That's why in this chapter, Ron explaining very complex and difficult content to these two when it comes to mudbloods and the amount of, like, what pure blood wizardry even is and how it's a load of shit because how even quote unquote pure blood wizards aren't actually pure blood because if if all of the wizards were only... They would have died out because there aren't enough wizards to keep the population of wizards actually alive. And 
it's re actually really insightful when we look past the vomiting of slugs and the fact that it's coming from a 12-year-old boy uh, during this passage. But the movies don't give us that. The movies give us Hermione actually getting upset, which, again, she didn't do in the book because she didn't know she was supposed to be pissed. And she explains it to us. Like she has some kind of in-depth knowledge about what kind of... I don't want to use the word oppression, but what kind of um, treatment muggle-born wizards and witches have gotten over the centuries or over the years or the types of struggles she's had to deal with. Oh yeah, never. Because she grew up with muggles and she's 12. She doesn't understand the weight of a slur like mudblood. She didn't even know what it meant. So she didn't actually react. It was the kids who grew up in wizarding culture who knew to be upset and they were the ones fighting on the Quidditch pitch. Hence Ron, vomiting slugs right now because that's what Draco should be doing. But again, that's not what we get in the movies. Because everything that Ron does well, every smart moment, every moment of intelligence that Ron has until the absolute very end of Deathly Hallows, go to Hermione in the movies. And again, that's part of the reason why, particularly book fans, don't love the movies sometimes and don't love Hermione in the movies. And that's just a theory from one uh, book fan. Anyways, so where was I in this in this chapter? Uh, ah, yes. Haggard's giving Harry shit about autographing pictures. <laughs> At, <laughs> pretending that he wants one. Which is, I mean, let's be honest. It's hilarious. This is what f friends do. I mean, Haggard's not a teacher yet. And so he really is just playing the role of friend here. Maybe a little bit mentor, but mostly friend and this is what friends do they give each other shit and i like it and then he takes them to see his pumpkins and that's not a euphemism it's literal pumpkins pumpkins out in his um pumpkin patch i guess whatever um and then he does what he gives him shit about jenny uh jenny coming to see him and talking about the engorgement charm that he put on the pumpkins and how well he did and all of that. And Hagrid saying that Ginny was likely there because she thought maybe she would run into a particular chosen one. So now it's lunchtime, and Prof. McGee finds them to serve them their detentions. And by them, I mean Harry and Ron, because remember that whole flying car thing that happened? Now we're finally getting our punishment. It's like two chapters later, uh, and we're finally getting our detention from that. Ron has to polish, polish sorry, trophies with Filch, and Harry has to help Lockhart answer his fan mail, which is basically akin to torture for Harry. Remember early in this chapter when I said that Harry is ducking and avoiding Lockhart and Colin Creevy like the plague because they're both, like, obsessed with him. Now he's being forced to sit next to this obsessed teacher who won't leave him alone as punishment. We thought that going into the Forbidden Forest in Book 1 was bad and dangerous and cruel, even, this might be worse. I'm just saying. So Harry's addressing envelopes. A skill that you learn growing up in the muggle world. And after who knows how long. And you know what? Let me stop there. Why is he addressing envelopes? They're going to be sent by Owl Post, right? Don't they just need a name on the envelope? Is that what he's actually doing? He's just writing people's names on envelopes? 
not actually addressing them. Because why would they need their address on the envelope for the owl? The owl's just going to go find them because, like, magic. Anyways, after who knows how long, Harry's, like, begging for this shit to be over. And by who knows how long, I mean, in Harry's mind, he literally has no idea how long he's been there. Which is insane. And then he thinks maybe he's insane. Because he hears a voice out of nowhere saying insane shit. Let me rip you. Let me tear you. Let me kill you. It's straight up kids book stuff. Lockhart doesn't hear anything. But he does let Harry leave. Because Harry hasn't been able to comprehend how much time has passed because it's been like four hours <laughs> I'm pretty sure my detentions at his age were like an hour long tops points and punishment in this school make no sense where have I heard that before so Harry and Ron are back at Gryffindor dorm room and they're comparing notes on their experience in detention and they go to bed pondering where the hell those voices came from. And that's it. That wraps up the chapter. A very light-hearted chapter. You know, we just have... possible mental health issues. We have possible stalking and obsession. We have blatant racism. Oh, there's, a, there's also a hint of... Um, of budding romance or the drama of the pursuit, I guess. It's probably not the best way to say that, but like, there's heavy shit in this chapter uh, that's written for children. But, alas, it's what we got. Taking us into Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half-giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich! Having a podcast takes a lot, and it's not easy, so your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, GoodPods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds, and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season, and some 
goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that will unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Lumos. Lumos. Let's pull out our wands and light the tips, but we're not blowing smoke. We're here to illuminate. Okay, we're not going to do this a lot, so let's just rip the band-aid off a little bit and talk about Quidditch. Yeah, in this chapter full of a lot of deep topics and and pretty uh pretty complex issues we're going with sports uh and i'm and i'm gonna start by saying that much like uh another podcaster you may have heard of in this uh in this fandom mike from potterless who doesn't know i exist uh i was very much excited by the concept of sports in the wizarding world i grew up an athlete I was small, but I was quick and I could jump high, and I was more coordinated than most, and I've never been bad at any sport that I've put forth any effort to actually learn, and and I was good at any I actually practiced at. Was I the best? No. Was I a Division I college prospect? Also no. Was I going pro? Hell no. But I could play, um, and if I made a few decisions differently at that age and, and put the work in, I'm pretty sure I could have probably played basketball at like a small D3, maybe D2 NAIA school, something like that. Um, nothing, nothing major, but I probably could have held my own. Here's an example of the types of things that I heard along the way. Uh, in, in one of those decisions that I'm talking about. So I moved uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. It's it's one of the hardest choices I actually ever made in my life and, and one that I also could never take back. That summer I actually met my future wife and now we have a beautiful daughter and a life that I wouldn't trade for anything. But in the context of this story, um, when I was a junior... I actually went back to visit my old high school and I watched my old classmates play a basketball game. And after the game, I, I caught up with my old coach for a minute um, who had actually coached our group, uh, our grade, at multiple stages. He was our coach in seventh grade and then again uh, in ninth grade. And at this point, he was the varsity coach. So um, we we had a rapport. We had, um, you know, we had a I had played for him a couple of times already and he was very familiar with our group is what I'm saying um so I caught up with him for a minute after the game and he told me and it's a direct quote that literally will never come out of my head it's like seared in there and he said to me looking me dead in the eye if we still had you we'd win state and I didn't have the heart to tell him. At this point, 
I wasn't even playing basketball for my new school anymore. That's another one of those decisions. None of this is meant to be some kind of weird brag or because I, I think you give any level of a shit about my, you know, uh, formidable years. It's not boastful in any kind of way. I just tell you this small part of my personal journey to just help give a little bit of context to my state of mind about Quidditch. The importance of sports in my life remains high to this day. I, The reason I have this podcast is because I once worked in sports radio. <laughs> Uh, sports has kind of been my thing, like always, uh, and I still, I listen to at least, like, ten different basketball podcasts every week, including the, uh, you know, handful of podcasts of people that I've, that I've met through podcasting and, and want to support on a week-to-week basis. I listen to a lot of podcasts, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm also saying I wanted to love Quidditch. I just can't. <laughs> I don't hate it. It's just... I don't know. It's just... Meh. So let's let's do the basics quick that I'm sure we all know by now, but just, just in case. Um, three hoops, each end of the pitch. That's a field for dumb Americans like me. Four balls. One's a quaffle. It's the only one that's not sentient in any way. They just throw it around and try to get it in the hoops. Kind of like flying rugby with a touch of basketball. Uh, Then there are two bludgers, which are alive and try to kill you. And a snitch, also alive, tiny, quick, and tries to avoid being captured. The point system are 10 points for throwing the quaffle through a hoop, and 150 for catching the snitch, and that means the game ends. The players playing the game are chasers who throw the quaffle around, a keeper who guards the hoops like a goalie, Beaters who hit the bludgers with bats, and a seeker who tries to catch the snitch. The game is played on flying brooms, and there's only one ref responsible for watching all balls and players at one time, so basically, outside of a blatant, clearly visible cheating, or whatever, right in front of the ref, or, or murder, pretty much anything goes. It's chaos, and while there's something kind of fun and quirky about the chaos, and it it gives a nice break in the reading, for sure. It's just not that fun of a construct for a sport. Um, too much credit and reliance on one ball in one position for my taste, and it's not a surprise or lost on me that the position is the one that our main character plays. Of course it is. So he's always gets to be the hero. Yes, a game or match can be won by a team who doesn't catch the snitch, but... It takes a pretty rare set of circumstances for that to happen, and it just doesn't do anything for me, despite the fact that we actually see it in a later book. I think you could... I don't know. For me, if I was to try to adjust the game of Quidditch to make it a little bit more palatable uh, as a sport, I think you could keep almost everything the same. Add a couple more refs so that kids weren't nearly killed. uh, Put actual boundaries in place, I think so that the main action of, you know, snitch catching could happen in the view of the stands, but it's very clear that Hogwarts is not good with spectator events. Um, Like, what we don't really need is Harry literally just flying up into the clouds out of you chasing the stupid snitch. And I think if we added a clock and make the snitch worth less, we have a better game. That way you could try to just score as many points as you possibly could within the time limit that you have. The snitch could be caught multiple times, and you can add a bonus to, like, the, um, you know, catching them. Maybe it's 50 points every time you catch the snitch or something like that. That way, and, and hell, that could escalate. You know, 50 the first time you catch it. If you catch it twice, you get 60. If you catch it three times, you get 60. I don't know. Um, but it... It just feels like a more entertaining way to play the game without completely scrapping the whole thing and making it, oh yeah, um, the only thing that actually matters is if that one person catches the snitch, and we don't really see that that well because the snitch can fly pretty much anywhere. Tying it back to our chapter, I've heard some people mention the brooms 
as being problematic for one thing that they don't like about Quidditch and how some brooms are faster than others and that that's not fair. You know, Malfoy, Nimbus 2001s. I personally don't care about this part as much. Um, for starters, Harry had the fastest broom until Malfoy's dad, the Booster, donated the latest and greatest to the Slytherin team to get his kid on it. But also, this is more common than I think people really think about or give credit in muggle sports. They're just done, it's just different, it's done in different ways. Baseball has better, more expensive bats than others that will allow you to hit the ball farther. Golf has better clubs and better balls than others for more distance or more spin and control. Football has all kinds of equipment that can have advantages in their weight and honestly the safety <laughs> of the player for that matter. Swimming has suits that are better at like gliding through the water than others. Some bowling balls hook more, some go straighter. Motorsports are literally won and lost based on the performance and reliability of the engine in the different brands of bike or car that are participating in the racing. The only sports that come to mind for me where I think equipment has like less of an impact is basketball or are sorry English language are basketball and soccer for those across the pond football for both it's basically just your shoes that are your quote-unquote equipment differentiator and while there are definitely fancy brands and whatnot so like there's a tiny bit to that as a hoops guy myself and a bit of a sneakerhead I can tell you that none of the shoes I've ever worn, no matter what absurd amount of money they charged me for them, they never helped my shooting stroke. My free throw percentage never got better because of the shoes I was wearing. You know, you gotta have shoes. So, like, you don't want them to have holes in them, you don't want to play in running shoes, you don't want to, like, play barefoot, or have super slick, you know, worn out bottoms of the soles because you just go slip and sliding around the floor but what i'm saying is it's not if you've got a decent pair of basketball shoes it doesn't really matter if you have reebok nike or adidas or puma or under armor on your feet as long as they're functionally designed for the sport that you're playing same with like soccer cleats like as long as they're functionally designed for the sport that you're playing they're not gonna make you a better player at that sport in those two cases but anyways we're going down a severe rabbit hole and i've probably lost half of you by now in this in this thing bottom line is there's definitely an advantage in the different speeds of the brooms and would it be more fair to put all these kids on the same broom yeah of course i'm just not outraged by it i mean i raced motocross for a hot second as a teenager and like i was in a class where not even all of us rode the same sized engine bike like if you're if you want to talk about advantages and disadvantages let alone the different brands and advantages that came from the different motorcycle manufacturers that you were on or how new your bike was or what like how well it was running all of that like rampant rampant advantages based on the equipment that you could afford so i i'm just you know i can get over the broom thing i'd rather change some of the rules to make it a more uh viable spectator sport and the scoring system make a little bit of sense now the author has said that they don't like quidditch and or don't like sports and so when they wrote quidditch they wrote it to be a ridiculous sport which makes sense as to why people like me find it ridiculous anyways let's let's get out of let's get out of the game of quidditch and let's talk about the impact that quidditch has on the series and i've joked about this before but here's some things we know harry's never been beaten to a snitch that he's been conscious for therefore harry never loses at quidditch when he's conscious I'm emphasizing that because that'll be important later in the series. The games of Quidditch never actually matter, <laughs> but there's always a plot impact connected to them. 
Let's think back to what's already happened. The first match in Sorcerer's Stone, Harry's nearly killed but survives the full eight seconds while Quirrell tried to turn his broom into a bucking bull. Talk about equipment advantages. I can't imagine doing a bull riding contest without the right pair of gloves or chaps or boots or never mind. He still caught the snitch in that first match, by the way. The next match we get, Snape's the ref, which increases the trio's suspicion that he's the bad guy in the book, true red herring, and he's just trying to get closer to Harry to actually kill him this time. Harry caught the snitch in record time, and Dumbledore gave him a brief congratulations and some plot pointers. The first match of this book, a bludger bewitched by Dobby, had a bullseye on Harry and did everything it could to knock him out of Hogwarts altogether. It broke his arm, allowing him for that hospital wing visit that we needed to get that major plot dump after Lockhart fucked up the healing spell. After, of course, Harry still caught the snitch. And in this chapter, it's not even a match, but the whole rivalry with Slytherin and Malfoy is amplified. We get the introduction of racism in the Wizarding world, and we, you know, don't forget, slugs. Whole bunch of slugs. My point is that none of those instances... It didn't matter how many times the quaffle went through a hoop, but there was a major plot impact centered around Quidditch. And it's the same for the classroom. Come to think of it, we don't actually sit in class that doesn't have a plot impact. If you really think about this series, and I never had until literally today, before I started recording this podcast... I was in a Discord server and I was starting to have this conversation. I had to delete the whole thing because I realized I was writing a book and nobody was there for that nonsense. But at no point do we read stuff on the page from a scene perspective and our setting and our surrounding that is not completely impactful to the plot of the series that we're reading. And I think that might be part of what makes this series so well written. Because we can be in a scene where it seems like the like it doesn't matter what's happening. And then something from it will come back. And it will really matter. Not every single thing is going to matter. But there's, there's always going to be something that does. For instance... The classroom scene where we're sitting in uh, Flitwick's class. We think that we're just getting introduced to what charms is in the wizarding world and what class is like. And that this is going to be what all of these books are like. These, this is a school. These kids are supposed to be learning. But no, we're there for Wingardium Leviosa and the Ron and Hermione beef. And then Ron using that very spell to save Hermione's ass from the troll. Same with the Snape classroom scene in that same book. We're not we're not in there to learn what potions is like. We're there to get the setup of Harry versus Snape and that background plus some Easter eggs for books to come in the ingredients that he talks about. Literally every time we step into a classroom, it's because of the plot. It's not because we're actually learning how the wizarding world works and these kids are not actually learning magic. It's the same with Quidditch. We're not watching or reading about Quidditch because it matters who scores the points and who wins the game. We're there because whatever happens, it's going to have a major impact on the plot. And it's probably going to have something to do with Harry either being injured, nearly killed, or some combination thereof. And that's it for now, because, spoiler, there will be more Quidditch, and more plot, and this is only book two. You can call that a prophecy, which is something that we learn about in... Divination. It's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future. First, and this is a quote, and banging on about some banshee he banished. If one word of it is true, I'll eat my kettle. Hagrid reflecting on his visit from Lockhart. Of course, we know this foreshadow 
pretty much by heart by now, right? Lockhart is a fraud! But that's not the real foreshadow. It's when he says Lockhart was the only person who would take the DADA job. Because people are starting to think it's cursed. Of course, it is cursed. By Voldemort, no less. And we learn that confirmation in Book 6. Ring Theory, connecting Book 2 to Book 6. Number 2. Hagrid mentioning Jenny being there, looking around, is kind of a two-part foreshadow. He said he thought she was hoping Harry would show up, which is one foreshadow of the crush that she has on Harry, which we know about, but then the eventual ship, and by the way, they make a few kids, so you can say she got what she was looking for in the end, right? But really, she's there because of the roosters. I'm unsure at this point of whether she was currently possessed and Tom had her hunting roosters when she was there talking to Hagrid, or if she was investigating some of the lost time that she had from when Tom took her rooster hunting. Either way, she's not just waiting around trying to run into Harry. She can do that in the dorm that they share. But... Again, nothing happens on these pages that's not important to the plot. Number three, Harry hearing voices. Foreshadow to the monster being a giant snake and Harry's heading out to, like, you know, be the only one that can speak Parseltongue in this entire school. And he's apparently the only one that can hear well enough to understand parcel tongue in the pipes when nobody else can even hear the thing going however hissing's supposed to sound through a microphone. That's a really, really bad impression. Please don't judge me any more than you already are. Number four. I had another slug attack all over a special award for services to the school. Another quote. That one's Ron filling Harry in on his detention. Of course, whose trophy for special awards for services to the school was he polishing multiple times after he threw up slugs on it? Tom Riddle. Let's give away some house points. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with no oversight and fully at my discretion. This week, I don't have a lot to give out. Uh, I'm going to give some house points to Ron for having the guts to go up Malfoy and ending up taking slugs for the team in Hermione's honor, despite the fact that she didn't even know why she was being defended in the first place. I'll give him 10 points for that. Now I'm going to give away some points from Draco. He's going to lose 25 for being a racist piece of shit. But it's a good thing his daddy's mean and he's not responsible for any of this. Uh, I'm also taking some points away from Hagrid. He's losing 10 for hearing this story and not making sure that it got escalated and Draco getting reprimanded for open, blatant racism against another student in a school. Can I remind you any more that these kids are at a school? Which... We'll keep talking about this for a second. Um, so that's really all I've got the energy for with this particular um, points nonsense. I'm going to add these ones to the nerdy spreadsheet that I make whenever the heck I make it. But I promise I will make it before this is over. And we will be able to tally up these points for the season-ending Bingy Awards. Before we go, i got to acknowledge the moments in the episode that were utterly ridiculous. Alright, it's not an episode of The Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense, starting with, I just mentioned it, Hagrid hearing about Malfoy calling Hermione a mudblood and not going to Dumbledore is... I'm just gonna say it, it's bullshit and it's out of character. Hagrid cares too much about Hermione. Hagrid is too close to Dumbledore for this not to come up and for him to just keep this to himself. And... Beyond that, the fact that nobody else in this group of children went and tattled to a teacher 
either? That's exactly what happens in schools. How many times when you were a kid were you either witness to the subject of, or let's be honest, the person running to the teacher when somebody called you a name on the playground or some kid thought he was cool and was cussing and you knew that they weren't supposed to be doing that. May or may not have been me in some semblance of that story. It happens all the time with children. They tell on each other. Anytime someone is perceived as doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, somebody is going to go tell a teacher that they were doing the thing. The person going and doing the telling ends up being told something along the lines of, you know, hey, you don't tattle on people for everything, but thank you for bringing this to my attention. And the person who was doing the bad thing gets a talking to of some sort, depending on the severity of the bad thing. They get punished. That's how this works. That's how schools work. It's totally ridiculous that Draco, at multiple instances during this book series, is able to blatantly yell racist slurs in groups of children and have zero consequences for his actions outside of any, uh, what, student-on-student crime or slug vomiting that should have, that was, you know, intended for him. I don't know. It's ridiculous. I'm off my soapbox. Um, the fact that we even had the dust-up in the first place in this chapter, though, I also find ridiculous. Uh, Oliver's Wood is trying to have secret Quidditch practice, and the stands are just, like, full of people watching practice, I guess. I know I I mentioned it before. Like, I don't remember ever having a student audience for any practices of any sports that I played in. And I literally played them the entire time growing up. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But in this case, we've got stands full of people. Hermione and Ron are there, which... They never come to practice. We literally have like two instances that I can recall. We have this one, and then we have the time when Hermione shows up to watch tryouts and does the confundus. Again, um, book six, ring theory, two to six. Anyways, it's not exactly normal. Harry usually just goes to practice, and he meets up with them after. But, you know, plot, and apparently watching Quidditch practice is just good old fun. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of The Binge. As always, shout out to Producer Jack, who I work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using right now. And if it supports a rating and review option, please leave one. You have no idea how much that can actually be helpful. If you're so inclined, check out the additional benefits available on patreon.com slash belatedbinge. That is even more helpful. Uh, if you want to keep the podcast going and um, you know help uh, help help give give the support needed to to give it that give it that boost and momentum to to make sure um, that we can that we can keep bringing these episodes to you. Um, please consider taking advantage of some of the the Patreon benefits over there. If you're reading along, next episode. We're covering Chapter 8 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Christina from the Restricted Section Podcast. Go check that out. In the meantime, you can start with the Veritaserum chapter from Goblet of Fire, which is the episode I was on as a guest host. And I can't wait to do it again. That'll probably be announced sometime next year. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, uh, I'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. Lockhart said he couldn't hear it, said Ron. Harry could see him frowning in the moonlight. Do you think he was lying? But I don't get it. Even someone invisible would have had to open the door. I know, said Harry, lying back in his four-poster and staring at the canopy above him. I don't get it either.